Jackie and I had been married for a few years at this point, and we we had just like finished college, and we were ready to kind of start our adventure together. So we hightailed it to Tennessee, and uh, I was pursuing a music career, but it was actually the first time in, in our married life that we both actually had full-time jobs. That, you know, with college and all that sort of thing, living, you know, on very little. We got there, and all of a sudden, we both had full-time jobs, you know, and I was commanding a salary of about 15000 a year, so I know, jealous. But we both had paychecks coming in, and... Yeah, we felt kind of like we were living high on the hog, is how they say in, in Tennessee. We felt pretty good. I mean, we had the financial means to you know, go out to McDonald's a few more times a month. We felt like, wow, we've arrived. We have, we've made it to the top of the food chain. In fact, we even got into these new apartments that I think they were like called chimney top or, or hilltop or something, something top. And it just matched where we thought we were in life. We were at the top, new apartment. New place, meeting new friends, new church. And, you know, we thought we should splurge a little bit. I mean, we deserve it, making these fat paychecks. So we made the decision, some of you know the story. We made the decision, the fateful decision, to buy a, well, some furniture. That's what you do. When you're young, starting out, you got to have furniture. you got to have furniture. God would want you to have furniture, right? That's what we said in our head. So we went to a furniture place. This is the first time we really bought furniture like this. And we bought a bedroom suite. Now, in Tennessee, they didn't call them suites. They just cut off the E, and they called it a bedroom suit. But you know what I'm talking about, like the, the bed and the, the, the headboard, you know, then a couple of dressers. And st- they called it the suite, right, the, the, the suite of beautiful furniture. And it was nice, kind of brushed white wood. And the great thing is they didn't even want us to pay for it right away. In fact, they said, and this is a brilliant idea, they said, you don't have to put anything down, you know, just zero interest. Some of you, you know what I'm talking about. Zero interest, zero down for fill in the blank of how many years. I think they gave us a generous two years. We're like, we're, we're rolling in the dough. We're, we're going to pay this off in like two seconds. That's what we said. Four or five months into that, we find out that we're pregnant with our first child. And uh, a value that we had is that Jackie would be a stay-at-home mom. And so our financial picture began to change very fast. And you probably see where this is going. We did not pay off said bedroom suit within the two years. And then we learned after that period of what that compound interest thingy is all about. Never heard of it before. We certainly know what it is now. Because that nice bedroom suit cost us twice what it would have been if we would have just bought it, saved money, and bought it with cash. We learned a very big lesson there. I think Dave Ramsey might call it paying stupid tax. I know that sounds kind of rude, but I definitely have paid some stupid tax in my life. Have some of you paid some stupid tax already? You? Come on, come on. Financial decision. There's lots of kinds of stupid tax. I get that. Bad decisions, things like this. But financially, sometimes we get into... Uh, a pickle. And when I think about that debt and how crazy that was, how silly that was, I was thinking, 
Debt is an interesting thing because we don't really want it, but it seems like debt is the only way to live in modern society anymore. You think about this. It's like we don't even think about it anymore. You get a debt for school, and then you get a debt for the car loan, and many of us maybe debt for a mortgage. And it's like debt is the only way to live. And the question is, is it? Because the scriptures seem pretty clear about the dangers of debt and owing somebody something. Like you're the borrower is slave to the lender. You might remember that phrase. I think it's in Proverbs somewhere. But, but debt seems to be this way of life, and I wonder, is it really necessary? I mean, I think about credit cards. How many of you have had a credit card in this room? Okay, some of you have one now, some of you don't. We'll talk about that a little bit. Like, is that a bad debt, good debt, whatever, what is that? But credit cards seem to me like a, a, a crazy trap, because it's easier to get a credit card, it seems like, than to, like, get a marriage license or a driver's license, which are two pretty big things. Like... A lifelong covenant with someone and driving a vehicle that's like driving a big, you know, three or four thousand pound weapon. Those are easier. Credit cards are easier than that. And it makes little sense to me that we, we treat credit cards like that. We're kicking off a series called The Money Talks. And the hope is, is that we'll develop some, some better thinking or better tools. Our hearts would be challenged and changed by God's word. When it comes to how we handle everything, not just finances, but do we carry debt? What do we do about generosity to other people? This encompasses a lot of different things. And Jesus spoke about this particular subject more than almost any subject. Why? Because it tends to grab our hearts and hold on tight. Our finances, our resources, they fool us into thinking that we control it. There's very few things in life that we really control. And money and resources can sometimes feel like a burden, a weight that we can't get rid of. But the hope is we will begin to take Jesus' attitude toward finances a little bit more than maybe we have. And maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time, and this might be a good refresher course. Some of you that are brand new to the whole Jesus thing, you might not know that he spoke a lot about this particular subject, and he did it for a reason, I think because it grabs our hearts. The hope of this series is that we will do, as Proverbs 3.9 tells us, to honor the Lord with our wealth. To honor the Lord with our wealth. That's kind of our overarching you know, key verse of this whole series, that we would honor the Lord with our wealth. We're going to talk about savings and generosity and debt and all those sorts of things in the next three or four weeks. But I encourage you to remember our key verse, Proverbs 3.9, to honor the Lord with our wealth. Glad you're here. Some of you are thinking, well, it's my first Sunday and they're talking about money. Great. You're welcome. Uh, but I think we're, we're going to get much more deeper than just a, a, a number on a spreadsheet. That the idea is God has great things for us as human beings and people part of his kingdom. And he wants us to be a blessing to other people. And, and finances is just part of that. So I want to lean in and pray. We're going to talk about uh, debt, love, and who owns who today. So let's pause for a word of prayer. And if you're online with us, we're glad that you're here. Welcome. We're in person. We're online. We're one church worshiping Jesus together on the first day of the week on Sunday because that was the day Jesus rose from the dead. So we gather, let's pray to him now. Father, we come before you. We love you. We know that you're in charge and we're not, and that's a good thing. Father, help us to have your view of resources and finances and all of that so that we honor you with how we, how we manage what you've given to us. Father, help us learn these principles and to be the kind of people that are generous and able to meet needs. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 
Okay, well, I want you to start finding Luke chapter 16 in your Bible or device. Luke chapter 16, arguably some of the hardest passages in Scripture in the New Testament come in Luke chapter 16. A lot of reasons for that. But as you get into the Scriptures, as I've already said, Jesus spoke a lot about this. And actually, there's a lot of good wisdom about how to handle money and other practical things in life in the book of Proverbs. Now, something I've done several times in my life since I decided to follow Jesus as a teenager, uh, someone once told me, hey, an easy Bible reading plan is to take the book of Proverbs, and you'll notice there are 31 chapters in the book called Proverbs. And so what you could do, and maybe this is something you never thought of, uh, but let me bring this genius idea that I didn't come up with. You take whatever day of the month it is, and you read that proverb. So today you would read what? Proverbs 7. I know, I know it's daylight savings time issues are still messing with our brains, but chapter 7. Tomorrow you read chapter 8. And then on Tuesday you'd read, you're getting the hang of this, 9. What you find in the book of Proverbs, and this is true about money too, is 80 to 90% of how the world works, how you should function as a human being, you can find in the book of Proverbs. It's really practical. Like, hey, uh, getting up early and going to work is a better idea than sleeping all day. That's pretty good advice. You can find nuggets of truth in the book of Proverbs, and you can do it every day. So I encourage you, if you've never done that, it's actually, I think it'll make you wiser. Trust me. People around you in your life would like it if you could be more wise. Like, so I think you should read Proverbs. But you look at that, 89% of life is found in Proverbs. And a lot of that is, again, save. Uh, be willing to share, go to work, uh, pay off your debt. That's a very bad trap. Borrower, slave to lender, all things like that. Practical, good advice. Jesus as well spoke about this. Uh, and and, and the, the fact is, when you look at Scripture, those people who said they were God's people, whether that be ancient Israel or the early church, they learned that part of their worship to God was being generous and looking at needs and meeting them. Notice I said not looking at wants and meeting them, looking at actual need and meeting them. In fact, the ancient Israelites, they were used to giving upwards of 25% of their income. And that was agrarian culture, so some of that was a crop. I get that. You send me emails on that. But they were willing to give up because of their service and worship to God. They were willing to give up upwards of 25% of their income, knowing that that's for the honor of God and taking care of his people. So from the beginning, cover to cover, Scripture, if you're going to call yourself a, a child of God, if you're going to call yourself part of the kingdom, uh, you, are, you will realize that worship is, is, is part of your worship is generosity. So as we kick this off, I, I want you to still find Luke 16. So you might be wondering, why did he say Luke 16? We're not there yet. Give me a second here. I want to start with some ground rules of this series. Four key ground rules as we get into each of these weeks that we're talking about money and resources and wealth. Number one, God owns and we manage. See, when you look at Genesis 1, God wasn't consulting with you on how exactly he was supposed to set up the universe. You're not all that. God owns, we manage. That's got to be that first principle that needs to be there. God owns and we what? We manage. He's the ultimate owner. That's ground rule number one. Ground rule number two, wealth is a tool to be leveraged for good. A tool that we leverage for good. Money can be leveraged for a lot of things. 
But according to Scripture, one of the things that the people of God did was they leveraged resources for good. They would not use their wealth for evil. In fact, in the, in the ancient Israelite uh, society, you weren't even supposed to charge brothers and sisters in the Israelite community interest. So crazy. You can only charge people interest if they were outside of the community. So people realize that we want to leverage these, these resources for good, right? Luke 10. Remember that? The story of the Good Samaritan. Some of you know that story. At the end of the story, Jesus wants us to go and do likewise. Like the person who saw someone's need and met the need. He wants us to go and, and do likewise. So wealth is a, is a tool to be leveraged. That's number two. Number three, blessed people, bless people. You've been blessed. Many of us have been blessed with more than we need. So, bless people, bless people. That doesn't mean we just not do it without thinking through, like we don't just throw money at different things, but we look for needs, and when they're presented to us, we meet those needs with, with, with you know, a sobriety there, that we give to those needs the things that are needs, not wants. But God's people who are blessed, we bless people. That should be our mode of operation. Think if people outside the church... So, well, I don't know if I really believe what they believe, but they sure are people that bless people. That's nice. That's a great thing to hear. Wouldn't that be great if people saw us as the most generous people? How great is that? And we should be the most generous people. We have the most generous God ever. And so bless people, bless people. And finally, trust God, not money. Now, I realize some of you are retired. Some of you are working toward retirement. Some of you have some, some nice checks coming in from either the government or whatever it might be, our 401ks, our pensions, and all that sort of thing, our homes. Those are investments, right? But there is no guarantee on any of that. We cannot trust anybody but God. So that's for us. In fact, Paul wrote to his friend Timothy, his mentor, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he said, command those who are rich, and when he says rich, that kind of means us. Command those who are rich not to, to, to uh, be arrogant or put their hope in riches, which don't last. They're fleeting. So we've got to be careful not to just say, well, I've got to secure a good amount in the stock market. That's not very, never going to crash. Or, you know, my house, my house is never going to lose value. You remember 2008, 2009? We cannot trust in anybody but God. Wealth isn't going to do it. So those four things. God owns and we what? We manage. Money is a tool to be leveraged for good. Bless people. Bless people. And we trust God, not money. Those are our ground rules for this thing. And you're like, finally, is he going to get to the scriptures? Yes. We've been talking in circles about that. But yes, we're going to talk about this. So talking about debt and, and, and what, we, what we owe and love and how we leverage things and who owns who. We get to Luke chapter 16, and there are two curious stories that have a, kind of a middle part uh, that has to do with the religious leaders of the day. But the first two of the two stories is something that you probably heard before, and it's the parable, the, the sort of odd parable of the, well, my, my paragraph reads, and I don't know how your paragraph reads if you had a printed Bible, the dishonest manager. Now, just from the title of that, you might be thinking, why is that in the Bible? I think that's a fair question. Why is that in the Bible? That just seems like you wouldn't want to have a story like that. If you're going to edit the Bible, you might want to leave a couple of those peculiar stories out of there. The parable of the dishonest. Why would, we, why would Jesus tell a parable like this? If you know the, 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 the background of this, you basically you have this 
this guy who's working, he's an accountant, uh, works with the books, and he's been cooking the books, is what they say. And I guess his boss finds out, and his boss kind of confronts him and says, you can't, you can't cook my books anymore. You need to uh, hightail it out of here. And so this particular worker, this accountant, this uh, bookkeeper, uh, decides he's going to endear himself to people that owed boss money, if you familiar with the story. So he goes to all these people that owed his boss money and said, hey, write your bill for lower. Now, I'm not sure like if there was a signature on that. I'm not sure how that worked legally, right? I, maybe I'm pressing the story too far. I have questions, okay? But however it plays out, this worker, this accountant, this bookkeeper, tells all these people that owe boss money and say, right, let you owe them less. And then, in a curious turn of events in this story, the boss finds out about that. And the boss is like, I commend you. I commend you for being shrewd. Because I guess this, this guy, this accountant, maybe he, I don't know, maybe he was not a, a strong, buckling young gentleman, and he didn't want to do hard labor in his life. He knew he couldn't do that, so he was just trying to find another way to get a job after this is all done. And he's figuring, well, if I, if I get in good with you know, these other people that owed my boss money, maybe they'll give me a job. That's what he was thinking, and he was commended by his boss. His boss is like, well, and I don't know what the whole conversation was like. You know, it was like, well, that was really unethical, dude. But I got to commend you. You were shrewd. You used debt even to help your position, to give you an income, to actually help you have a job after all this. Yeah, you could press this story maybe too far. I get that. But what we see is this manager that uses his brain to figure out how to utilize worldly wealth to figure out a way so that he has a job after all this. It's interesting, isn't it? It's a curious story. Theologians have butted heads over this for a long time. Like, why is it in here, number one? What does this mean? Why would Jesus tell this story? It's an interesting thing. That's story number one. I mean, basically, the guy's using debt and resources as a tool to take care of his income after he's canned by his boss. I mean, if, I don't know how, how else to say it. I could pretty it up, but I think that's kind of what's happening. Then we got a second story. This second story has to do with, uh, with a rich man who shall remain unnamed, interesting, and a poor man who is named Lazarus. You'd think that the rich man would have been given the dignity of having his name recorded. In this case, we have an upside-down economy, and you have the poor man who's given the dignity of a name, Lazarus. So the rich man, he's living high on the hog, is what they say again in, in the South. Living high on the hog and uh, doesn't even see this poor guy that's been begging at his door or his gate or whatever for a long time. Just too busy for those needs, right? And it wouldn't even have cost him that much. I mean, the, the parable says just a few crumbs from the, from the table would have been helpful. Wouldn't even have probably dented the, the rich man's finances at all. But as it, as it would, if you know the story, they both end up dying the rich man is taken to a place of torment. Again, not, we don't, there's, there's some mystery to this, but taken to a place of torment, all right? Separation. And the, the poor man, who has a name, Lazarus, is taken w w where Abraham is, kind of in a, in a, a better place, if you will. That's, I'm using very generic terms, but it's the, the parable's an interesting one. I encourage you to read it. So they're, they're in different places, and you have the rich man barking orders to Abraham and the team up there with Lazarus saying, hey, uh, this place kind of stinks. Uh, I don't like this place. 
I would really like a drink of water. Can you tell Lazarus to like serve me? It's a weird thing. Like he's thirsty and he wants la- he's crazy the arrogance that you see there. But then the wise man or the, the, the rich man's well that there's a chasm. You can't can't reach. You can't, can't help you. And so then the rich man's like, well, okay, well, I want you to do something else for me. Would you go and tell my family to watch out because they don't want to come here? And they're still living, apparently. So he's like, wants them to find out that God was going to spend a special messenger and give them a warning. And the response is, no, they've got the Torah. They've got Moses. They've got the prophets. They can believe them. I mean, the idea of doing good to other people, that was all over the Torah, everywhere. So there's no excuse for the rich man to say, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know I was supposed to be nice and generous and give to people who have need. He should have already known that. No excuse. And so the response back to the rich man is like, no, they have all the prophets. They have the Torah. They have all that. If they don't believe that, then really there's not much. That is what it is. And he's like, well, hey, why don't you send someone back from the dead? And they'll believe someone back from the dead. It's like, no, if they don't believe the prophets, they don't believe the Torah, They're not going to believe someone, even if someone rises from the dead. Interesting little foreshadowing of what Jesus is going to do. But even something as dramatic as sending someone back from the dead is not going to convince the family of the rich man. These are crazy stories. You've got to get your mind around them. They're, They're big concepts here. Seeing a need and not meeting it. That's no good. The rich man saw a need and he didn't do anything about it. It was a legitimate need. It wasn't like the, the, the poor man saying, I just I would like a new Tesla. He didn't say that. I, just, I would like a meal. That's something that we can do. This time of year, as some of you know, I like to put stuff in my, my vehicles so that when I see someone, say, on the side of the road or, or having a sign begging for something, I can give them some socks or I can give them a power bar or I can give them you know, a hat or something like that. Seeing needs and meeting needs, that's part of who we are. We don't always get it right. No, I know that. But we see needs and we meet needs. And so this is how we handle our wealth. In both these stories, in one, you got someone shrewdly using worldly wealth to kind of make make provision for themselves. Interesting story. Then you got the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man knew he ought to be helping with needs and he just decided to ignore it. Now, if you add on to this, what Jesus said in Matthew 25 about the separation of the sheep and goats this starts to get really, really convicting for me. What's the difference at the, end of the, at the end of the day between the sheep and the goats? Whoever was generous and watched out for the least of these. How much are we watching out for the least of these? This is how we begin to handle money, debt, wealth in a way that honors the Lord. How are you doing with that? You can't serve. In fact, Jesus will say in between these two stories, you, you get this interaction he finishes one story. The Pharisees don't like it because he basically said, you can't serve God and money. And that's not going to work. And he said, the Pharisees love money. And you remember what the scriptures also say about the love of money? It's kind of a root of all kinds of evil. Well, the Pharisees have really decided they like their money. And so these stories were convicting to them. In fact, they wanted to ridicule Jesus. They start ridiculing him because you can't serve both. And, and, and we need to hear these things. Romans 13 has an interesting phrase that I want to read, and then I want to give you some kind of background a little bit. In Romans 13, 8, it says this, Owe no one anything except, except to love each other, for the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. Shows up in 
chapter 13. And chapter 13 in, in Romans, honestly, it's a chapter that I've read a lot the last two years. Through this whole pandemic and all trying to figure out how to lead through all of this. Romans 13 speaks about obeying the government authorities. Uh, you know, if, they're, they're, if the government authorities are punishing you for wrong, well, that's not, not a surprise. You, you know, you ought to be you know, living in a way that honors uh, the Lord and honors the, the authorities. So we speak about this, then and the, the passage also talks about rendering taxes to who is, the taxes are due. All this stuff is happening in Romans 13. And so you read that, and then you get to this verse, and it seems oddly placed a little bit. You render to, 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 to right respect where this goes and, and, and taxes to where this goes and all this stuff is happening. Then Romans 13.8, kind of out of the blue, says, And you know what? Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. There's this overarching principle that everyone who is a follower of Jesus, the way that we live is to love one another, and, and to always have a debt of love to someone. That of all the ways we can owe stuff to people, governments and taxes or whatever that might be, all the things that we can owe, the overarching number one thing is we owe love to each other. That we owe love to one another. And that's how people will know we're his. Owing a debt of love. How are you doing with that? Like, if I were to say, okay, right now, where you're sitting right now, we can all ask each other, is there a debt of love that you owe right now? Now, it could be meeting a financial need. I don't know. That could be where someone actually has a legitimate need. But it also could be things like attention. Have you ignored someone in your life that you can show some attention to? Maybe it's someone needs a prayer. They need a shoulder to cry on. They need... Uh, you know, your, your time and attention. What debt of love do you owe today? See, I think how we handle this, and in, with regard to, you know, what we owe to other people, this debt of love, how we handle finances, all of these are little choices that we make every day that are signposts to the world of whether we're with Jesus or we're not with Jesus. These little things, kindness and generosity and blessing people, these are signposts for folks who are maybe outside the church family looking in saying, look at the generosity, look at, look at the blessing. These are signs that we're walking in the new kingdom, new heavens and new earth, that we're, we're a new way to be human when we treat people with love and we're blessing others and we're a blessing. What debt of love do you owe? The reality is we, we can choose not to listen to God's word. We can choose to continue to chase stuff and continue to believe that our 401k and our house property value is, you know, perfect. It's never going to, it's rock solid. It's never going to lose value. But we all know that that's not true. We've seen markets crash. We've seen real estate crash. If you were here around 2008, you saw it pretty bad. And that lasted for quite a while. We put our hope in anything else, our trust in anything else, it's misplaced. You can, you can decide God's word is not true on this, but I think many of us in this room over and over have found God's wisdom for handling debt and, and, and handling being a blessing. And, and all of these things matter. They matter. I just think of all the heartache that many of us have gone through because we paid too much stupid tax, or we've decided not to take God's word. We've decided to, yeah, I know I should save for it, but I really want it right now. 
and, and having to deal with our own issues with want versus need, having to deal with our impulse to overspend. God has things to say to us about this. We can ignore him, but it would be to our own detriment. Look, the reality is I want to be able to make sure that my life and maybe your life too, our church family, has enough margin in the way that we live that we can be a blessing. That we're not so scraped or we're not so under the debt load that we can't be generous or we can't be part of God's mission. He's called us to so much more than being under the, the slavery of debt, under the slavery of overspending and just getting mixed up with what's a want and what's a need. God has what much to say to us about that. Let's talk about some practical things and then I want to wrap it up. Oftentimes, you, you, you talk to financial advisors and things like that. And I've gone through several classes and many of you have been through some, some financial classes. There, there are best practices, things like that. But I like, I like asking this question when it comes to any kind of financial decision that we make, whether it be t- taking on debt or, or, or spending on something or, or making a big purchase. Who am I serving with this? Am I serving my own wants? Am I serving myself? Or is there a greater purpose with me taking on this debt? Or me, like, am I taking on a debt to have a mortgage so that my family has shelter? Or am I just taking this on because I want to keep up with the Joneses or whoever these people are that keep having the better cars and the better stuff? What's your motivation? Who am I serving? Am I resorting to debt because I can't control my impulses? That's a big question. Some of us are not good at saying no to ourselves. And sometimes we get into this role where we're like, I work hard, I deserve it. I see car commercials. You've seen them too. Get the car you want and deserve. Deserve? Really? Are you having a tough time with your impulse control? Am I taking on debt because of that? The scriptures tell us that God gives us what we need. He gives us enough. That whole thing with manna in the desert, if you remember that from ancient Israel, God gave them manna that kind of rained down from him. He gave them just enough for that day. The only day he gave them a little extra is when they had the Sabbath the next day. And they weren't supposed to to do any ordinary work on that day. But God always provides enough. Do you trust God to do that for you? And here's another thing. Some people go into debt and they get out their credit card before they even ask for help. Am I too proud to ask for help? Are you too proud to ask for help? Sometimes you need help. Now, if you do need help, don't just go to someone and say, I need money, and give them no plan of how you're going to take care of things so that you're not in this same position next month, right? Always have a plan. Have a plan. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take another job. I'm going to pay this off. I'm going to sell this. Have a plan. But am am I going into debt because I'm too proud to ask for help? The church family is part of that help. Is your money and, and, and your debt making you happy or sad? Do you feel burdened by it? And here's the biggest one of all. And I hear this violated so much in the church, in the church family. It surprises, it shocks me. Before you make the next debt decision or big financial decision, any big decision, if you're a follower of Jesus, have you prayed about it? I mean, I hate to get back to ground zero here. But we are following Jesus, aren't we? Like prayer should be a big one in our lives. It's amazing to me how many times I have heard Christians, you know, wondering about what God's will is, or I'm not sure if I should buy this, or should I marry her or him, or all these big decisions. And when I ask, have you prayed about it? Like, well, I haven't gotten to that yet. Uh, I feel like that's a big one. 
So, chew on that for a bit. Have you prayed about it? Like, literally prayed. And give yourself 24 to 48 hours. Don't pray about it. And like, okay, well, he didn't say anything. I'm going to go get it. Give yourself some time. Ah, I love what Randy Alcorn said. He said this a couple years ago in a book. Nothing is a good deal if you can't afford it. And with that, just because you can't afford it doesn't mean it's God's will for you to have it. See, that's probably part of our problem in the United States sometimes. We kind of take it for granted. And we think, well, God wants to bless me and make me happy. And sometimes we can get so caught up in that that we forget the needs that might be around us. All right? Nothing is a good deal if you can't afford it. And, and just because you can afford it doesn't mean it's God's will for you to have it. All right, so here's a couple frequently asked questions. This is me off the cuff. Is all debt bad? How would you answer that? Is all debt bad? I have a credit card. Jackie and I have a credit card. We pay it off every month. I realize that credit cards have been a huge pain in the butt for a lot of people because it's too easy. It's too easy to put stuff on the credit card. And so that may be a situation where maybe credit cards aren't a good idea for you. But no, I think if you use credit wisely, like buying a house. I have a mortgage on my house. I'm trying to pay it off, but I have a mortgage. Uh, but it provides shelter for my family. Um, I don't drive new cars. I don't have that. But I think sometimes we use debt in, in, in a targeted way, and we still give quite a bit to the Lord. So I don't think all debt's bad. Number two, do I pay off debt before I start giving to God and giving to the church? I've heard this a lot, and you may, you may be saying, well, Ben, that's not, it's like conflict of interest. I get that. But I'll just tell you what Jackie and I did before we ever got into full-time ministry. We made it a pact that we were going to give First day of the month, 10% off the top. And now it comes out electronically, you know, technology's great. But we had debt then. And we struggled with debt most of our lives. But it's amazing to me how over time God, because we made that commitment, that habit, it changed how we spent the rest of the money. So there may be financial advisors that disagree with me, but I think you start somewhere because it's a regular habit. It's part of our discipline. It's a rhythm, if you will. Okay, uh, you can send me emails on that if you disagree. <laughs> Number three, uh, should I lend money to a friend or family? I'll just give you my opinion. I think if you're at that point where you have been blessed enough to help somebody, it's a gift. Make it a gift. I've seen too many times where it gets really ugly really fast. Now, sometimes it can work, but if you do try to figure out some kind of a loan or you need help from a family member, make a plan. Make a plan for crying out loud. Pay it off. Jackie and I have borrowed from her parents at times to, to get things that were significant, but we made a plan to pay it off. I just think it's rare that that works out well. So I would say if you're in a position to be honest or generous with a friend or family, do what you can to just make that a gift. You can send me emails if you disagree. Uh, I don't think credit cards are always bad, and I think mortgages have a place. I do think, though, Having gone through 2008, I think sometimes people have put their, uh, the, 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 the amount of house above their logic. We need to be careful about that. Like, we don't buy more house than we need. So sometimes mortgages have kind of gotten a little crazy over the last 10, 15 years. There should be some prudence there. And sometimes you're just going to need to talk to someone who's a financial advisor. Uh, we've been blessed in our life to have some great people that help us with that. If that's something you need help with, we can, we can find some help for you. But, yeah, a mortgage can be a targeted uh, way to do that. Some of you are saying, well, how do I get out of debt? And that's a great question. Uh, number one, 
prayer needs to be part of this because maybe that means you have to stop putting more debt in to the mix. So that may mean, like Dave Ramsey would say, start cutting up credit cards so that you're not adding more to the debt. Uh, there's a debt snowball idea where you're going to pay off the, 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 the largest interest, you know, bad interest first and, and kind of knock out the smaller ones as you go. Some of you know some of this uh, even more than I do, but the reality is some of you might need to get a, a side gig or a side hustle, maybe sell some stuff to get out of that debilitating debt. Because debt, what it does is it enslaves us. And the thing is, if we're not careful, it can begin to, to take our hearts. And Jesus wants our hearts, and he wants us able and willing to, to be a blessing to other people. So debt can make that difficult. So pray about that. I love what one scholar wrote, and then I want to close it off. A Christian's economy and activity should be characterized by kindness toward those in need, generosity, and a willingness to help. Doesn't mean that we can help all the time. Doesn't mean that we pay for everything all the time. It means that we are conscious of need and want to meet them because of the way God took care of our needs. So my only point today is this. If you got debt, dump it. Dump it the best you can. Get that side gig. Sell something. You're under slavery. I want you to be able to have freedom to be a blessing to other people. And it's a wonderful thing. Some of us in this room have gotten to the point where we can, even anonymously, write a check or put some cash in an envelope to deal with somebody's need and watch the blessing happen. And that's one of the most beautiful things ever. If you've never experienced that, it's so fun. But God wants it to be a blessing, to be a blessing to other people. So dump debt and owe love. Trusting money doesn't work. Right? Remember our four, before I close, the four things. God owns, we manage. Wealth is a tool to be leveraged for. Good. Blessed people, bless people. And we trust God, not money. Right? The great thing is Jesus paid a huge debt for us on that cross so long ago. Took care of our sin, rose from the dead, and offered new life to each of us. And we are products of that, many of us in this room. If you've never said yes to Jesus, you could do that today. Have him help you dump that debt of sin and have new life. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your love and faithfulness, your mercies. Help us to be a people that are, are, are not just blessed, but bless others. Father, help us to see real needs and meet those. And Father, I pray for each of us that may have debts that we need to take care of. Father, you'd help us, empower us to dump that debt so that we can really owe just that idea of owing love to people around us. Father, help us to, to, to pay that debt of love to the people in our lives today, this week. And Father, may you do a mighty work through us as we become the generous people you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.